Good afternoon and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, if you like what you're hearing, be sure to like, follow, and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Microphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On today's episode, leading up to tonight's first opening game against the Calgary Flames, I thought I would walk us through some of the trends that I saw in their recent exhibition match, which uh, took place earlier this week, I believe on Wednesday. This game took place uh, against the Vancouver Canucks, and look, it is technically preseason, but I did pick up on some trends that I think are, are going to be salient for this upcoming series, in part because it's actually not that different from what we saw pre-break with the Jets. A lot of the stuff that happened against Vancouver is some of the stuff that they've been strong at and weak at uh, throughout the entire season. So we'll kind of start with the forwards. Uh, For this first opening segment, I thought I would walk us through how I thought the Jets attackers did because it's a bit of a mixed bag. Uh, At the top line, I thought Connor, Wheeler, and Shifley were just not very good. Overall, they spent a lot of time in their defensive zone and really struggled to get a zone transition game going and they just didn't really seem to spend much time in the offensive zone. Of the three players, I think Shifley definitely had the most dangerous chances. He was able to kind of carve his way into the slot a couple of times, but what ended up happening was he would sort of overcook the puck handling, maybe deke a few too many times, and a defender would dispossess him, uh, or he just really wasn't able to take the shot, which is kind of uncharacteristic of Mark. Usually he is a a shooter-shoots kind of guy, and that was a little bit surprising that he really wasn't able to get those shots off, but... You could say that Vancouver's uh, skating D were holding him pretty tightly. I just think that he wasn't as good as he needed to be, and it wasn't really the kind of performance that you would be expecting from your first-line center. As far as Connor is concerned, he was just sort of there. I really didn't feel like his off-the-puck movement was anything to write home about, and I don't recall him really having all that many shot attempts, if many at all. He definitely has been worse, but I just felt like the fact that he was a non-factor on this line when you kind of need him to be scoring goals is a bit of a problem. When he's not scoring goals, Connor is unfortunately a bit of a net drag on this team, especially on that top line because the top line is not defensively secure. As far as Wheeler is concerned, he was also kind of there. I felt like uh, his offensive acumen was fine enough as always. I just didn't see him really get to use it because he was sort of hanging back a lot and I felt like he was playing more of a defensive role. It didn't really seem like Wheeler was able to engage in the offensive rushes all that much and the few possessions that he did have ultimately didn't convert into anything useful. The second line kind of started off similarly to the first line, only this line actually started to click as the game went on. Uh, This line was Ehlers, Eakin, and Line A, and I think the easy two standouts were Ehlers and Line A. Uh, All three of them at first were struggling a little bit with the same kind of thing that the top line did, which was um, getting pinned in the defensive zone. Line A had a couple of not-so-great wall battles and turnovers. Ehlers was struggling to really get out of his own end. And Eakin, again, was just kind of there. As time went on, though, Ehlers and Line A started to get a lot more confident and get up to skating speed, which I did hear that Paul Maurice wasn't hosting as many practices, so guys are probably a little bit rustier than they would be under normal conditions. I felt like... This line was really driven by Ehlers and Line, especially on odd man situations. Vancouver's defense is pretty porous, so it was good to see Ehlers and Line able to connect on a couple of opportunities, and Ehlers ended up getting a nice little rebound goal off of a Line shot. The problem with this line is I really think that Aiken just isn't there in a top six role. He, uh, you know, he was in the offensive zone a couple of times, 
but usually what happened was he was chasing some kind of a puck carrier along the wall, and then when he lost the battle or really wasn't able to do anything, he again retreated and kind of curled back, which that part is fine. It's just that he had to do that a lot because he wasn't really able to have the kind of impact that you want from a second-line center. This is kind of where, you know, Brian Little, for as many struggles as he had last season, you can really see that his absence has definitely hurt the Jets down the middle just because they don't really have many better options. I really feel like Andrew Kopp needs to be in that second-line center role, but right now Maurice just doesn't seem to trust him enough, and so we're kind of stuck. I, I really feel like the second line is going to have to be Ehlers and Line carrying, and I don't know how much they're going to be able to do if Aiken isn't able to step his game up. As far as the bottom six is concerned, I'm going to kind of talk about this as one whole lump. I thought the bottom six was great. The third line especially stood out to me because this one was Cop, uh, Lowry, and Roslovic. So you've got two defensive, two-way uh, specialists in Cop and Lowry, and then you have the ever-talented Jack Roslovic, who you're always kind of waiting for him to break out and have some really offensively enticing game. This was that game. He actually had a really slick drop-back assist I think it was for Kulikov, if I recall correctly. Uh, beautiful assist, very cheeky pass. He could have gone for the shot himself, but felt like that lane wasn't really there, so he opted to drop it off first and let uh, the oppo or the other forward take the shot. Um, what I also noticed was that he did have one really good backhand opportunity close to the short side on the, or I guess on the left side of the ice, but the goalie's right shoulder almost went in. I actually thought it did. He just missed by a couple of ang you know, a couple of degrees on the angle, and uh, that release, which was quite difficult to elevate from almost like a backhand position, really great, really showcased how crafty he is in tight spaces, and I felt like Roslovic had a very much statement game. He's been trying to prove that he deserves more ice time and more trust from Maurice, and I felt like for the most part he actually did a pretty good job of making a case to get more time. I felt like this line in general was great. The only thing I would change is that I think Cop needs to be in that second-line center role. I just don't think Eakin can really keep up and handle the forecheck as much as he needs to with both Ehlers and Line being the kind of purebred uh, racehorses that they are, especially when they're trans transitioning offensive uh, zones and moving through the neutral zone. It's not like Line is the speediest guy, but his vision and his IQ tend to compensate, so he's always looking for a spring-ahead pass, he's always looking towards other flanks of the ice, and Aiken just isn't in those positions to really make the most of what Line has to offer. And we all know Ehlers is just a puck possession monster. That dude could carry it to hell and back, and I think he would probably still have the puck on his stick. Overall, I'm going to give the forwards a B-, minus. probably. I, I felt like they were okay. They definitely had two or three goals on the night. Um, two goals, actually, because two were from defensemen. But I just felt like the top six was a bit of a mixed bag. The bottom six was fine, but they're a little too heavy, I think, on the bottom six, and they need to redistribute some of that talent, especially against a Calgary roster that's going to use very speedy counters and stuff. In just a moment, we'll take a look at how the defenseman did, because to be honest, it wasn't quite the performance you'd want, and uh, the engine driving the back end was sputtering just a little bit. Speaking of sputtering engines, every now and then we all have to deal with auto part replacement and maintenance. Unless you're an automotive expert or somebody who just happens to really like Gran Turismo, figuring out the make, year, and model of your car can always be a real challenge, and it's even harder to know exactly what kinds of parts you need. Sometimes you don't even know what's wrong with your vehicle, and you have to take it to an auto repair shop to even get a diagnosis. When all else fails, rockauto.com has your back. The fine folks at rockauto.com have over 20 years of experience in the automotive industry and have an intuitive, easy-to-use website that allows you to filter by make, year, model, and price range for the parts you want to buy. 
Whether you're needing a new engine control module or a new floor mat to replace the one that you stained with your most recent defeat at the hands of a taco, rockauto.com always has what you're looking for. When placing an order, be sure to write locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, visit rockauto.com. Again, that is rockauto.com. Every now and again, you know, you might feel like the Winnipeg Jets defense is a lot like that car that you were just thinking about replacing parts for. A lot of spare parts in a not-so-great package. To say the Jets lineup has gone through quite a few changes over the past couple of uh, seasons has really undersold, I think, the impact, especially to the defensive core. We all knew that coming into this uh, postseason picture, and really the regular season, the Jets' defense was kind of a disaster. Surprisingly, though, some of the guys that we were kind of expecting to really struggle this season actually performed at or above expectations by a pretty decent margin. I think Neil Pionk probably represents one of the largest increases in improvement, especially from the Rangers version of him that we saw to the version that played for the Jets. Now, of course, Pionk definitely still has some of his issues, uh, most notably on the power play where he doesn't, for some reason, seem to ever make the pass to line it properly. I don't know why this is. It's just like a weird quirk with him. He doesn't really seem to make that right-handed pass uh, as fast as he needs to. And it's kind of strange because it's one of the easiest things that you would do on a power play is to default to line A. But he always seems to either go for a point shot or just make that pass way too slowly. Something that he really needs to work on because right now line A is kind of get, getting taken out of the equation, especially uh, on the odd man advantage. Now, as far as his defensive work is concerned, he definitely has improved significantly, but he still has a couple of those moments where you're like, "Mm, he didn't really see the danger coming from one of his flanks, and he wasn't able to cover it up, and occasionally that results in a goal against. In this exhibition match against the Vancouver Canucks, this is probably one of the worst performances he's put together as a member of Winnipeg. This looked more like a Rangers Neil Pionk, which is really disappointing because, you know, he'd shown so much growth, but it could just be a lot of rust for him. Unfortunately, though, in the first couple of uh, opening minutes and shifts that he took, he turned over the puck like three or four times, and some of them were in really high-danger areas right in front of Hellebuck. If you want to prove to Paul Maurice that you're a responsible puck-carrying D, this is probably the worst way to do it. He lost a couple of wall battles and then would you know, pass it off just lazily or aimlessly, and it would end up right on a Vancouver stick. Thankfully, he didn't get burned because the man in net, who we'll talk about in a little bit, was absolutely dominant, but as far as performances are concerned, Neil Pionk is going to want to forget that this one ever happened and move past it very quickly. It was uh, a little bit less than stellar is probably the easiest way I can put it, but we have seen much better from Neil, and I'm hoping that, you know, tonight and over the next couple of days or weeks, however long the series and postseason lasts for the Jets, that Pionk is able to put things a little bit more together than he did uh, on Wednesday. Um, his defensive partner is uh, Dmitry Kulikov, and Kulikov also looked like he took a step back. He definitely showed a lot of rust. I felt like, physically speaking, he was fine. It's just that his positioning and gapping were not good. This looked more like the Buffalo P or uh, Buffalo Kulikov that really struggled with a lot of basic defensive reads, and occasionally he would let guys get a step in on him. I think one of the ones that he got away with that he somehow managed to overpower just enough to keep from essentially scoring and getting a through breakaway was Elias Pettersson kind of gunning up the middle between him and Pionk. This is just not a situation that, as Kulikov, you want to allow happen. Uh, Paul Maurice tends to like his defensemen and his forwards to keep guys to the perimeter, and here Pettersson just, you know, it is Elias Pettersson. You know, he can cut through just about anyone like a hot knife through butter. But I think the ease through which he almost got through is a bit of a problem. 
Kulikov is pretty tanky, and, and having Petrshon almost get through him is probably not the kind of thing that he would expect from him. I mean, he is very big, he's very physical, and he's able to seal off those spaces, so almost getting beat right there was not a great sign. I felt like for the rest of the evening, he just seemed to be a little bit rusty and occasionally absent-minded, but that's not super shocking. Again, these guys haven't been playing a whole lot, and they haven't had that many scrimmages. That said, I, I was a little bit concerned that he definitely looked like, defensively speaking, he was a bit behind the times. But we've seen this from Kulikov before. We've definitely seen worse performances from him. Let's hope he also recovers because that second pairing is going to be relied upon. Josh Morrissey, I felt like from the top pairing was just okay, not particularly great, not particularly terrible. He had a couple of moments where he looked a little overwhelmed, but for the rest of the game, I didn't really notice him standing out. I felt like his gapping was okay. I don't know if he really had all that many touches on the puck, um, so I don't know if he was really springing any breakouts or anything, but he was just kind of there. I felt like I noticed Dylan DeMello a lot more. DeMello, I thought, was physically engaging quite a bit and trying to tie up uh, opposing skaters. I felt like his positioning and gapping were pretty good, and he seemed to be very active in skating around, especially when he needed to carry the puck. Uh, all in all, Dylan DeMello has been one of Winnipeg's better acquisitions, especially as far as trade deadline uh, guys are concerned, and I felt like he did pretty well to acquit himself, and really he needs a new contract. The Jets need to keep him because the in-house replacements aren't going to do quite the same level of defensive stoutness that Dylan DeMello brings. The final pairing, Bolu pullman I thought was okay. I, I thought that Pullman especially was very active, uh, especially on the offensive and transition side of things. He definitely skated a lot in the offensive zone, and it looked like he was trying to create consistently. He took quite a few point shots, one of which ended up actually going in. Uh, a little bit of a lucky shot, but hey, we take them all. Um, and Bolu for his part, didn't really get himself into too many troubling situations. He, again, was just kind of there. He might have had a couple of missed... Uh, missed checks in the corner and maybe some poor gapping. But overall, I mean, we've definitely seen worse from Bolu. He had the same early rest as a lot of the other skaters did, but looked capable enough, I guess, as time went on. I just felt like out of the two of them, Pullman was definitely more impressive uh, and a lot more assertive, especially in attack. Defensively speaking, both of those guys are going to struggle, I think. But I felt like Pullman probably had fewer issues than I might expect from somebody who had like three or four months off. I've talked a bit about the uh, the Jets forwards and defenders, but you might be wondering if everyone was on the whole kind of mediocre, then how exactly do you explain Winnipeg winning 4-1? If you have even a passing interest in hockey and know what the Vesna Trophy is, then the answer to this particular question is going to be very easy. It's because Connor Hellebuck stood on his frickin' head and basically pulled the Jets through single-handedly. This exhibition game was a lot like every game Winnipeg has played during the regular season, where they struggle to create a lot of offense, but get maybe a lucky break here and there, uh, catch somebody napping, or their, their really high-end shooting talent is able to squeeze out a couple of goals and get the opposing team in a hole, and Hellebuck does the rest. My absolute favorite pick for the Vezina this year was beyond Sterling. I mean, Hellebuck was, if this was a regular season game, this could have been a top-five performance on the season for him. As it was, it was just a really spectacular performance. He had a really, really busy first period where uh, Winnipeg's defense and forwards weren't even able to get out of their own zone, and so he was basically under siege the whole time. I think there were actually a couple of breakaways, and I think one of them was like Bo Horvat. He had to face Elias Petrshon's shot. One of the Petrshon slap shots, I think from the right side, actually just got glove-tipped by Hellebuck, uh, and it was really labeled hop corner on the far side, so it was pretty tough. Um, what I did notice was that Hellebuck's tracking seemed to be stupendous. 
His reads were very strong. He was always in the right position. He just looked exactly like the Vesna form that he got nominated as a finalist for. He stopped 37 of 38 shots, and I think that his performance, especially with how many tough angle deflections and sharp shots that he had to deal with, uh, and a lot of the traffic that was in front of him, really showcases the fact that Hellebuck is arguably the league's best goalie, and it may not be close. As good as Tuka Rask is, I think that Hellebuck right now, and throughout most of the season, has played on a level that's just kind of it's pretty much off the hook. I mean, this dude has carried this team on his back throughout the entire year. He did it again uh, on Wednesday evening. And, he, you know, if the Jets make any noise in this postseason, it's going to be because Hellebuck was sterling. The Jets will go as far as he does. And if he can carry them all the way through, ah, man, you know, that's he's going to have one of those most legendary performances you could imagine for a netminder. There's just not many distinctions and honors that you could ascribe to somebody quite as good as Hellebuck. But, you know, Vesna is a start. He's also really, in my opinion, should have been a heart finalist at the bare minimum. I think what he did for this team and just how many goals he saved consistently made him one of the most invaluable players in the NHL. What this kind of means, all of this really means against Calgary, is that the the Jets are going to have their hands full. I think that Calgary is kind of a mediocre team, but their scoreline against the Edmonton Oilers was probably a bit harsh, in my opinion. We kind of talked with uh, Locked on Flames for several episodes previewing the series in the episodes prior to this one so if you want a more detailed breakdown you can definitely check out what we had to say there and you'll get a better sense of how both flames fans and us as jets fans potentially feel about the series on the whole flames fans are pretty down on it because they feel like unless goudreau and monahan and some of the other guys show up winnipeg is going to skate through pretty easily i was actually kind of on the other side of things i think that what we saw against vancouver is what i'm very concerned about happening again against calgary the Flames are not the world's most top-end team. They don't have the kind of goal-scoring talent that the Jets do in great abundance. What they do have is a lot of very solid to very talented depth players who can essentially cause you matchup issues, and when they spring uh, really rapid counters and uh, you know high-speed counters, this is what tends to kill the Jets. If Winnipeg has to spend extended periods of time in the defensive zone, they're going to get killed, no question. The Jets have always struggled with that because they don't have any guys, especially on the blue line, who can carry the puck out of trouble and, and essentially relieve pressure on the forwards and the, you know, hellebuck in net. We just don't have that. And the forward skaters, for the most part, you know, barring the bottom six, they're not really defensively oriented. You know, Ehlers is one of the few transition skaters who can make zone exits, make zone entries, and essentially dominate possession of the puck no matter what. The rest of the top six can't really do that. And all the guys in the bottom six are probably not going to get as much ice time as the top six, which means that those you know first two lines are really going to have their work cut out for them, especially for players not named Nick Ehlers. And if Ehlers is, is going to miss any time in this series, the Jets are in serious trouble. So what it's going to come down to really is can Connor Hellebuck be amazing and can Winnipeg essentially get to both Cam Talbot and Dave Riddick fast enough? I saw a lot of people very harshly criticizing Riddick for his very brief performance in the game against the Oilers, and I feel like that wasn't super fair. One of the goals was just McDavid being McDavid after Noah Hannafin basically, I don't know what he did, he like sprawled out uh, along the blue line and totally missed the check. And then the first goal was sort of a fluky one that I think Patrick Russell somehow got to and just kind of greased around one of the pads from Riddick. So I don't know that either of those are great representations. I felt like his tracking and vision seemed to be fine. I'm not a goaltending expert, but as far as I could tell, his movement was crisp, his read seemed to be fine. So I don't really think that 
you know, starting Talbot or Riddick is going to make an appreciable difference. I think that they're both around a, a bit above league average or league average, probably at best. But if Calgary's attackers can take advantage of Winnipeg's uh, decaying blue line, then that will be enough. I don't know that the Jets are going to have a whole lot of offensive zone time. So as long as Calgary avoids power play troubles, I think that they should be able to really make a case to, to come through in the series, especially if they get just a few extra saves from two of their netminders. Our first game is going to be underway this evening, so tomorrow I'll have a, a recap of what that game kind of looked like and what it maybe suggests for the rest of the series. But that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On National podcast, hosted by Sarah Avampado. Thank you so much. Have a great night, and go Jets go.